Well, I'm going to be in Exodus 17. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there to verse 8, I'm going to preach a message titled, You Can't Win Alone. You can't win alone. I think especially guys, we've had a lot of moments where we try to do something that maybe we weren't quite cut out for. And it's hard in those moments to admit that you're in over your head, isn't it? I had a moment like this a couple years ago where I wanted to install a couple of smart thermostats in my home and you know I did one of them okay, no issues, and then I went to do the other one but I didn't realize there was an extra air handler unit with this other thermostat and I'm trying to get this thing wired up but there was an extra wire that the instruction manual didn't talk about and I didn't really know what to do with it and it's not good when you're trying to assemble electronic appliances and there are extra wires that you don't really know know what to do with. And so I'm trying to make this thing work and I'm Googling, you know, what do you do with this thing? And I'm plugging it in random places. And my air conditioning sounded like an angry R2D2. It was like, you know, just like I had to swallow my pride in that moment and admit I think I bit off more than I could chew. I had to call one of their pro technicians to come out and I just had to pay up and get some help. It's not always easy to admit that I need help. It's not always easy for you to admit when you need help, but in reality, we all need help. None of us can win at life on our own, and I want to read from this passage, which I I think exemplifies it in a unique way, and I think you'll enjoy this passage just in general because it's pretty cool, but in verse 8, it says this, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. Okay, so I think this is a really cool passage. This was the first military engagement for the new nation of Israel after leaving slavery in Egypt. And you should probably assume that they scavenged some uh, armor and weaponry from the Egyptians who were foolish enough to chase them into the Red Sea. Uh, It didn't work out well for those guys, but it did work out well for the Hebrew people because they got a bunch of free swords and shields and gear, and now they are equipped for the battle that God knew would come their way eventually. And I want to point some things out from this passage and then draw some principles out from this that I think are relevant for us today. First, in verse 9, notice this. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Notice it says, choose some men. Now that gets my attention. I was in the military before I did this, and going into combat against an invading army, I wouldn't want to choose some men. I would want all the men. I get that there are some guys that might have been a little past their prime, and there might have been some guys that hadn't quite hit puberty yet, but in the middle, there's a lot of guys. Hundreds of thousands of guys. And I don't know about you, but I want all the guys. (laughs) Yet Moses said, choose some men. Why is that? Well, I think it's because all these people grew up as slaves in the land of Egypt. And many of them, even though they had been set free, still had the heart of a slave. You might say that you can get the man out of Egypt, but there's a process to getting Egypt out of the man. There were men who also grew up as slaves, but yet they already had the heart of a warrior. And I want to ask you right up front, if you think about 
yourself being there in this day, would Joshua have picked you to go out into battle? You might not have been trained as a warrior, but you can still have the heart of a warrior. The slave just accepts whatever he's told, does whatever his overlords say, never questions anything, never resists, and is driven by the fear of man and scared to death. But a warrior is different. A warrior does what's right and will fight against evil and oppression, driven by faith in God and desire to live a full life that glorifies God. Even women, you can live with the spirit of a warrior, with courage and confidence in who God made you to be and what he called you to. So men, women, you've gotta accept the fact that whether we're talking about a country, a nation, a state, a city, a church, or your family, we need bold men and courageous women of God to stand up and fight for what's right. Notice it says, as long as Moses held the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But when he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Okay, so what's going on there? What, what's this all about? The key to understanding this passage is noticing that Moses calls his staff the staff of God. And we talked about this a little bit when Moses was parting the Red Sea, but the staff of God, says in verse 9, it highlights the fact that this staff that Moses lifted up, Moses raising his hands up, this was a physical representation of the fact that the Israelites were going into battle by the power of the Lord and trusting in God to give them victory. You could have the best, strongest, most well-trained military, best equipped, best strategy, best game plan, but without the Lord it's hopeless. And that brings me to my first point. You can't win without God. Raising up the staff of God, it was Moses recognizing and declaring that we only win in God's power. We still raise our hands today in prayer and in worship, just like Moses raised his hands in battle. And we're declaring that we're victorious through faith in Jesus. And we have victory through Jesus, like we sang about a moment ago. The power isn't in me or my hands being raised. It's in God's power, and so I adore him and glorify him and worship him and trust him to fight my battles for me still to this day like they did then. I know that deep down, some of you might wonder right now, have I been fighting, have I been living life in my own power, or have I been trusting in the power of God? And I want you to understand that God loves you too much to let you win on your own. If he let you just win on your own, you might not recognize your own need for him. God allows us to struggle on our own so that we'll come to the end of ourselves and surrender to him and put our hope in him. Even the people who look on the surface like they're successful, maybe they have the nice car or the, the big paycheck or the title, studies show that these people struggle with depression and purposelessness, oftentimes even more than average folk. It's Mark 8, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You cannot win in life until you let Jesus take over every part of your life. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can't win alone. There's no victory apart from Jesus. Here's Moses with his arms up, the staff of God raised high, and the army of God is winning the fight, and eventually Moses' arms start to droop. And I, I would have been frustrated, like, Moses, keep your arms up, man. You got one job. Keep your arms up. But you got to feel bad for the guy. He's over 80 years old at this point. So I'm sure, you know, when he was in his prime, he would have lasted. But no, here he is. His arms are drooping. And it said in verse 12, so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As great as Moses was, and as powerfully as God used him, he was still just a man. His arms were raised up with the staff of God to show people you cannot win without the power of God. But I think God allowed him to grow tired and his arms to droop so that they would recognize that Moses isn't a superman. There's a painting here of Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands. So you can kind of picture it, this scene. 
And Moses, he had his hands up, but he couldn't keep them up long enough. And I want you to think about that for a minute. First off, think about the fact that God allowed the Amalekites to approach his people in battle. Sometimes we think whenever we face a struggle that the devil is attacking us and God has abandoned us, but that's not always the case. There are some fights that we need to fight, and so God allows us to fight them for our own edification. And then notice this battle started, and God allowed it to drag on. God allowed it to drag on. God could have ended the battle in a second, you know, like moment one, you dead, everyone falls over, Israelites win, Praise be to God, we're going home. Right? But instead, God allows it to drag on hour after hour. I'm sure Moses was there, arms getting tired, like, come on, God. Why, why did God delay? Why did he wait and allow this fight to drag on? I think it's because he intentionally wanted to give it enough time that Moses' arms would grow tired and start to droop so that even Moses would be reminded you're just a man, and I'm going to use you powerfully, but I'm not going to use just you. You need some help. And so thankfully, along came Aaron and her. They held his arms up, and that brings me to my next point. You can't win without people. You can't win without God, but you also can't win without people. And you might think the formula for victory is just as long as you have God, you'll be victorious and in a sense, that could be true. In terms of getting into heaven, as long as you have faith in Jesus, you'll be victorious. But in terms of winning in this life, you need God and you need the people of God to support you. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam, the first man, had a relationship with God. And there wasn't even sin in the world yet. And yet God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm glad at least some men amen in this service. <laughs> but this isn't just a reference to marriage, but in general, we need people. We need people. It's not good to be alone. And yet, I know so many people who've tried to go it alone. They isolate themselves. They won't let anybody into their lives. And maybe because they got burned. Maybe because they got hurt. And when you've been hurt, that pain, that trauma sticks with you. And it's understandable that on some levels you would think, man, it's just safer to be on my own. If I'm on my own, at least no one else will hurt me. The problem is there's another enemy. The devil is like a lion prowling around looking for whom he may devour. And I don't know, I've watched the Nature Channel a little bit and uh, I've noticed that those lions, when they go after their prey, who do they go after? Is, is it the herd? No, they don't, they don't go after the herd. They go after the individual, the young, and the wounded. I found a picture of a lion here with a little baby gazelle. Spoiler, I don't think the gazelle is doing so well. I know already we got some ladies here. You got like a tear coming down your cheek. <laughs> That's terrible. This is the circle of life. <laughs> Didn't you see the movie? That's exactly what lions do. They go after the young. They go after the wounded. They go after the isolated. The devil does the same thing. He goes after not the church, because the enemy knows he can't destroy the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil can't stop the church, so he goes after the individual Christian, the spiritually young and the spiritually wounded. The young, because they don't know a lot, and that's okay. That's not a, you know, putting them down, but when you're spiritually young, you don't know that much of God's word, and that makes you more susceptible to the devil's lies. And when you've been wounded, you're not as well equipped to defend yourself against the enemy's attacks. And that, that makes you easy pickings for the enemy. You might be able to avoid him for a moment or, or maybe a year, but eventually he's going to get you. I mean, you're going to have problems. And I've seen it happen to too many people. I know that this is what eventually happens. And that's why I wanted you to see this picture. I am praying that the Holy Spirit of God will supernaturally imprint this photo on your soul. 
And next time you're tempted to skip church, It's been three weeks since we've been to church. Next time you're tempted to stop going to church altogether because someone offended you or someone sat in your favorite spot or the pastor didn't like your idea, I am praying that the Holy Spirit of God pulls this picture from your memory and implants it right in front of your face and you'll be reminded, oh yeah, I don't want to end up like that little baby gazelle with his neck broke in the mouth of a lion. I'm going to get myself to church. That's why you need a group of people around you. You need pastors and leaders and life groups, encouragers. Who is holding up your arms? And whose arms are you holding up? We're all gonna go through the storms of life, but you need people who will come around you and hold up your arms long enough to make it through the storm until God does eventually bring the victory. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 4 that I love. It's so practical, it makes it so clear. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I love that. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity the fool who falls and has no one to help them up. That's the translation that I like to use, the, the A-team translation. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, that's really good, is not quickly broken. I mean, there is some great pickup material here for the single guys, right? Just walk up to a girl after church like, what's up, girl, you look cold. You know you can't stay warm alone, right? I'm always trying to help out the singles. Maybe you're watching this online right now or you're listening to this sermon in your car on Spotify because you slept in and you skipped another week of church. And I just want you to understand that online church podcast is better than nothing, but it doesn't accomplish what being a part of the church will give you in your life. You need people around you. You could even be sitting in this room right now, physically surrounded by people, but functionally and spiritually alone because you don't let people into your life. And there are some people, they come to church every week, but they come in like secret agents. It's like they infiltrate in disguise. I made it in, didn't have to talk to anyone. Good luck with that. Our welcome team, they're like stalkers. They'll, they'll hunt you down. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. It's a little, it's a little overwhelming, but they're sincere. I'll tell you what. And then people will sit here, and then they'll sneak out and leave early. And uh, it's not good to be alone. I have this conversation a lot of times where people will say, you know, well, we went to that church, but we never really could get connected. Or people will tell me, you know, I've been going to this church for a while, but I haven't really made a lot of friends. And I don't know about other churches or how they're running things, but at least at this church, if you've been coming for a while and you haven't gotten connected, if you've been coming for a while and you haven't made a lot of friends, I just have to be honest with you because I love you, that's on you. It is, because we've created the process for you to get connected and to meet people. Now, I'm gonna get really practical throughout the rest of this sermon. I'm gonna challenge you, but there's one thing I'm going to forbid you from doing, and I don't say that a lot, so this is serious. I'm going to forbid you from feeling guilty. You're not allowed to feel guilty. I'm gonna talk about some things that you should do, but if you haven't been doing these things, I don't want you feeling embarrassed or stupid or like you've disappointed God. You just need to grow. You are allowed to feel convicted. That means like the Holy Spirit might challenge you to take some steps or make some changes. So let me just give you quick three things. How to make church feel like family so you can make friends and feel like you're part of the church family rather than this is just a church you go to. Okay, so the first thing is show up, stick around, and hang around. 
You need to show up regularly. It's one thing if you get sick or go on vacation, but you should come more often than not. If your kids ask you, are we going to church this week? You're not showing up regularly. They should be surprised when you're not going to church. Like, what? Who's throwing up? That should be their mindset. You need to show up regularly. And then when you start to show up to, the, like, let's say you start to come to Generation Church, you need to stick around for a while. Like, keep going to the same church for a long time. Now, now sometimes God does move you on to another church, um, but there is way too much church hopping among God's people in this day and age, especially in this city. Especially in this city, because it's very easy to get around here. The roads are very good. Thank the Mormons for that. <laughs> There's a lot of good churches. And so it's really easy when you get offended. Just be like, well, I'm done with this church. Or you find out, you know, that there's something special going on at another church. And then what's, what's really a problem is people turn into buffet Christians. They just, like, go through the line. You're like, oh, I really like the kids' ministry here. And, like, oh, they have great worship here. And, like, this pastor's so funny. And, oh, I love their holiday programs. And, like, you meet the people. They've got, like, five church car decals on the back of their car. It's like something isn't right about this. You need to find a church and be faithful. Really, when it comes to spouses and churches, you need to just pick one. <laughs> Stop messing around. And then when you do come, hang around. Like, hang around for a while. You know, like, I just, I think about this practically. And, you know, I think, you know, if you already went through all the trouble of changing out of your basketball shorts and putting on deodorant... You already drove all the way over here and you got your kids corralled into the places they need to go. Like, you might as well hang around for a few extra minutes. You know, ladies, you go through all kinds of shenanigans to get ready for church. You might as well just hang around for a few minutes when you're already here. Like, come a few minutes early, stick around for a few minutes after church. I know sometimes you got to get somewhere real quick, but in general, like, mingle for a minute, talk to people. Walk up to someone who looks like they're alone and strike up a conversation with them. If you hang out after church, you'll eventually run into someone who likes you. <laughs> it's great. Act like you like each other. And then here's the second thing. Join a life group. We have life groups. It's all, all kinds of life groups. I love, I love how much you love life groups. There's Bible studies and groups for men and for women and for singles and for marries. There's groups that go golfing. There's groups that work out. There's celebrate recovery. There's all kinds of groups that you could be a part of. And honestly, I don't care what kind of group you're a part of. We got some groups like guys go golfing and they, they play golf for like three hours and they probably talk about God for three minutes. <laughs> I don't care. I'm good with that because I care more about them getting connected to each other. I want them to be connected to each other. And, and so consider joining a life group and then do this. Join a team. Join a team that you can serve on. We have a lot of teams, a lot of ways to serve. And really, when you're on a team and you're, you're with your teammates, you're working together and praying together and playing together and winning together, you're going to form friendships and you're going to create bonds with other people. And so here's the deal, right? I know that not all of you can do all three of these things. Some of you just had a baby and you're just doing good to get out of the house on Sunday. And some of you have to travel a lot for work in this season. Or maybe there's something going on that prevents you from doing all three of these things. I don't wanna burden you or guilt trip you. So I just wanna break it down for you. Here's the deal. If you'll just do the first thing, eventually you're gonna get there. You're gonna be okay. If you just come to church regularly and hang around for a while and go to the same church for more than two months, eventually you're gonna make some friends. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. All right, but if you'll do the first thing and at least do one of the other two things, you will speed up the process of getting connected dramatically. 
It'll go from taking years to just months. And I love it when I meet someone and they're serving on a team and I get to meet their family and, and I get to meet their kids and learn about them and say, how long have you been going to the church? Oh, like four weeks, we love it. And, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. They just started coming. Once they decided this is my church, they went all in, they're doing all the things. I get to know them, they're making friends. Those people are connected. On the other hand, sometimes I meet someone, like, oh, nice to meet you. How long have you been coming to the church? Three years. It's great to meet you, Pastor. I'm like, listen, I'm not judging you, but you're probably not doing number one. <laughs> I'm glad to meet you now, better late than never, but I'd love to see you speed that process up. And then here's the third point. You can't win without God. You can't win without people. And your church can't win without you. Your church can't win without you. We have a mission it's not an individual mission, although you can practice this individually, but it's really a mission for the church to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to all creation, to make disciples. And this mission started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and over hundreds and thousands of years, God's people have carried the good news around the world all the way to Arizona and to you. Because people went out and they carried out the great commission that Jesus gave them, they made disciples, and they didn't do it on their own. There were a lot of people working at this together, in common. And yet today it's very popular and trendy and acceptable for people to sit there on the internet and complain about the church, the modern church. <laughs> it's nothing like the olden days. The old school, ancient, original, early days of the church. Those were the good days. It was simpler then. They didn't have all these lights and buildings, <laughs> instruments. Back in those days, they just had papyrus <laughs> and robes. It was so authentic. You know what else they had? Lions ripping their face off for worshiping Jesus. It's the little things that we sometimes fail to appreciate. Like not getting burned at the stake for professing faith in Jesus. I think Christians back then, if they knew what we had today, they would be so happy for us. They'd be like, you guys have buildings? You have your own buildings for just worshiping Jesus together in like a big group? Man, we're here worshiping in the sewer, hoping no one hears us. They'd be so encouraged to find how far we come and what God's blessed us with. People would say, though, you know, this isn't like the early church. And I'd say, you're right. It's better. It's better. And you know why I can say that? Because I know the heart of God. He's not willing that any should perish. And so the fact that today the church is bigger means that in God's eyes, it's better. We still got problems because church is made up of people, but we're better and we're bigger. We can make a greater impact, and that's kind of the point. You notice Jesus didn't say, I will preserve my church. He said, I will build my church. He likes progress, and he likes growth, and that's what we've got today. We've got growth. Thanks to technology, we can have church across the valley, and we can even stream to places across the planet. On Sunday, we'll have people watching our church services from Kenya and China and South Africa and the Philippines and India. It's really cool. So over time, you'll see that the methods change, but the message stays the same. The methods will change, and the methods will probably change for you. And then a lot of you, you're gonna grow up and you're gonna be the one with gray hair saying, back in my day, we did church different. And your kids are gonna be like, we don't care, Dad. Like. And so you don't want to get morally attached to the methods, but you want to cling fast to the message that Jesus is Lord. He's still the only way to the Father. He died for our sins, and he rose again. And as the message spreads, the church grows. And our church has been growing, and we've seen that tangibly over the last several years where this church has been one of the fastest-growing churches in America by God's grace, and then physically we've had opportunity to grow Back in 2017, 
New Life Church that Amy's dad, Paul Lavino, started, merged with our church, became the South Mountain Campus, and last year, Fountain Hills Christian Center merged with us and became our Fountain Hills Campus, and thanks to COVID, our online viewership went way up, <laughs> and the Mesa Campus has grown and grown to the point that we had to build a new building to make room for all the growth. So if things go according to plan, we should have our first service in that new building on December 4th. How awesome is that? We're so excited for that new worship space. And yet it's a good time just to remind ourselves that the church is in a building. It's all the saints throughout history who've placed their faith in Jesus. But I'm grateful for the church. And yet I'm also grateful that we have a church we can come to. The church is a noun and a verb. I'm a part of the church, but I also love to do church. You know, you'll have friends, you'll invite them, and they'll say, where does it say in the Bible that I need to go to church? Now, let me show you. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. As some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Notice what it says. Let us, that means like we should do this. Think of ways to motivate one another. Let us, we should not neglect our meeting together as some people do. The people who ask things like, where does it say in the Bible that I need to go to church? <laughs> especially now. And that's more true now than it has been. You know, recently, Congress was trying to push through this bill called the Respect for Marriage Act, which is anything but. And the goal of that act is to codify same-sex marriage. And the people who are pushing this same-sex LGBT agenda, also, they're very manipulative and they're cunning, so they snuck into this bill, not just same-sex marriage, but interracial marriage so that if you oppose same-sex marriage, they can accuse you of being racist. It's very cunning. Now, we as Christians, we know that God is the one who designed marriage, and ordained that marriage is one man and one woman in relationship with each other. And to God, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. To Christians, we don't care what your skin color is. You need to act to protect interracial marriage? Like, who's trying to stop interracial marriage in 2022? No, God doesn't care what your skin color is when it comes to marriage. Just that you got, you got a man and a woman, and they're committed to each other. But then there's this other part of it, same-sex relationships, that they want to codify and call it marriage and make that law. And, you know, they can do whatever they do, but it's not going to make it a legitimate marriage in God's eyes. We know that. And the reason I mention that is because if this bill becomes a law, it will be used to persecute Christians. And they claim that there are exemptions for religious liberty in there, but I've kind of studied the details of it, and there's plenty of grounds for them to use this to persecute Christians. So you should just prepare yourself emotionally for the idea that before you uh, end your time on this earth, before you might die, before the Lord returns, like you really could face more persecution. It's very, I hope not, but you could. And so especially now, as Hebrews 10 says, we need to not neglect our meeting together because we need to be motivated to acts of love and good works. We need to be encouraged Especially now, when people hate us for standing on God's word, we need each other. Otherwise, man, it could be slim pickings. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about a great falling away before the Lord returns, and this great falling away is apostasy. It's a great rebellion. It's abandonment of the truth and rejection of God's revelation. And you'll see this, that churches, sadly, will increasingly fold on the issue of homosexuality. And Christians will increasingly fold on sin and truth. But this great falling away is preceded by a great staying away, where God's people stop 
prioritizing their gathering together. And when you don't gather together, you lose motivation, you miss out on encouragement, and you become easy pickings for the enemy. And so I am pleading with you, I am pleading with you to not neglect your gathering together. I don't get a gold star on my pastor chart in heaven for your perfect attendance. It's for your sake that I emphasize this. So please don't neglect your gathering together. Your local church is made up of all the people here who consider Generation Church their home church. So this isn't just the church that you go to. I hope you're realizing that this is the church you belong to. This is your church. We don't exist here to minister, just minister to you or to cater to you. We exist to glorify God together by loving him and each other and doing what he's told us to do. And so there's three things. I'm gonna close with this, three things. Your church wins when you serve. I'm up here on stage preaching right now, and I, I look like I'm by myself, but in reality, I'm not doing this by myself. Any good thing that comes out of this sermon is only because the Holy Spirit impacted your heart, and he allowed the word of God to sink in and transform you, so I'm not by myself. And even more practically, there's all kinds of people who serve today. We got staff and we got people serving on teams and technology and kids and with the parking lot and worship and welcome and all kinds of people work together to make this possible. It takes a team. And this tonight very well could be my last sermon that I ever preach in this room. Maybe where I preached my first sermon 11 and a half years ago to 50 people, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> but over time, by God's grace, we've seen thousands of people accept Jesus in this room. And so we have to move into a new space. Now the thing about this new space is it's bigger. Makes sense build this new building, make it bigger. You're gonna need a bigger boat. You're gonna need a bigger church. Because we have more space, we need a lot more people serving on teams. We need twice as many people serving in our kids' ministry, on the welcome team, the parking lot team. And so, if you've been coming to church for a while, and you've been thinking to yourself, you know, one of these days, I think I wanna get involved and serve in some way. You know, I'm gonna go to that G101 thing they tell me about every week. One of these days, well, today is the day. Yes. Not just because God told you to, not just because it's good for you, but because we need you. And I know, here's the thing, like, you don't have to serve to get into heaven. Christianity is amazing. We're the only religious belief system where you're not saved through good works. Every other religion in the world, you cannot be saved unless you do certain things. You have to go to Mecca. You have to go on a missionary journey. In Christianity, you're just simply saved by faith in Jesus because God already did all the work. So you're free from religious burden, but you're not free from responsibility. In Galatians 5, it says, you've been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So we need you. Next week, we have a special G101 uh, for you, if you want to get involved and be serving by the time we go into that new building on December 4th, or on December 4th, you can go to G101. But your church can't win without you, and we all win when you serve. The second thing is this. Your church wins when you give. Uh, I've been talking about giving quite a bit in the last few weeks, and I know for some of you that's, that's stressful. If it stresses you out when I talk about giving, you're the one that needed the sermon about giving. Come on, somebody. And uh, I also just want to encourage you in this. I know sometimes... You come to church, you bring a friend, and the pastor gets up, and he starts talking about tithing, and you get all angsty, and, 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 and you're like, no, pastor, no, you don't, don't, you don't, I brought a friend today. You're not supposed to talk about tithing. Talk about something nice, like how God loves us, and he forgives us. I brought a friend. But I, I want to encourage you that God has this way of still working in people's hearts, even when we talk about money. You know what that Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you talk about treasure, you can't help but hit the heart. 
And would you believe this, that last week when I'm up here talking about how you should tithe, the 31 people accepted Jesus? It just kind of defies logic, doesn't it? You get up here and you're like, man, you should tithe because that principle still applies to you. And You would think that people would be like, I'm not so sure I, I want to be in. But that day, 31 people. And that's normal. That happens every time. And, and so here's what you'll see. Tithing is something we should do. And a lot of you have started doing that. I just quickly want to help any of the stragglers if you're struggling with faith. We do this thing like a 90-day tithe challenge. So if you're like, man, I just don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. Well, we do a thing. 90 days, you sign up through the app. If you tithe for 90 days, and at the end of those 90 days, you don't feel like God's blessed you, you don't feel like he's taken care of you, come talk to us, and we will return all that money to you. So it's like, oh, the church only wants my money. No, I'm trying to help you trust God and experience his faithfulness because he says, test me in this. So I am giving you the answers to the test. <laughs> and then there's this other type of giving is offerings, giving offerings. Tithing is more of like a responsibility and it's like the right thing to do. But giving offerings is where we get to practice generosity. And offerings is where you do what it says in Corinthians that you should not give under compulsion, but you should give freely according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and that God loves a cheerful giver. I love bitter givers too, but God loves a cheerful giver. And I haven't probably done a good enough job of teaching about the concept of offerings Usually when I talk about offerings and special giving, it's usually connected to a cause. Like, you know, you should give because this thing, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do this. But there's also a type of offering that the Bible describes as free will offerings. And it is what it sounds like. It's the idea you just, you just give freely to God out of your own volition because you want to worship him. And something you see in scripture is that it's common for God's people to give big special offerings in response to big special moments and to mark new beginnings. For example, like Noah did this when he came out of the ark after the flood. Israel did this when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. They just gave an offering to the Lord. They sacrificed Moses did it when he built the tabernacle and David received this huge offering when he started building the temple and Solomon, when he became king, he sacrificed a thousand bulls to God. That's when God said, ask me for whatever you want in response to his radical generosity. Even in the New Testament, after Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit had been poured out, God's people, they sold their possessions and they gave. Proverbs 21 says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. The godly love to give. You know why we love to give? Because giving is how you show love. I'll prove it with the one verse you definitely know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we're gonna do something special this year. On December 11th, we are gonna give a free will offering, and I love my church offering. And what I want you to do is to pray about what God would have you to give in that offering. This is just an offering we're gonna give because we love our church. And like I am reflecting on all the things God did in my life in this room, God's probably done some things in your life in this room. And I wanna give in gratitude for all that he's done in this room, but also in anticipation for all he's gonna do in that room. I'm believing he's gonna impact you and your kids and thousands of other people. And so we're gonna come on December 11th and give an I Love My Church offering, all of our campuses. It's just gonna be an awesome opportunity to show God how grateful we are for what he's done. And just, so I just ask you, simply ask God what you should give and do that. No one's gonna pressure you or come to your home and knock on the door. Like, just pray and ask God what to do and then do that. Maybe he's gonna lead you to give like a token gift because you're like, I can't give that much, but I can give this as a token to show that I wanna give. Or maybe it's a lot or maybe, you know, so God will show you what to do. But we all win as a church when you give. And then this is the last thing. Your church wins when you bring people. When you bring people. Bring someone to church with you and a great day to do that would be December 4th. 
our first day in that new building, because it's also Let It Snow Day. It's a fun day where we have snow. And this year, we intend to have snow. Funny story. Last year, on Let It Snow Day, the person who was supposed to order the snow forgot to order the snow. It's kind of awkward. I just want to point out, in case you ever hear someone say, that Pastor Ryan guy, he's such a jerk. I just want to point out that that person still works here. <laughs> so that kind of put us in an awkward position. This year, we will have snow. There will be snow. In fact, we called the snow company every week for three months, and they asked us to stop calling them. <laughs> and so I want you to invite someone to come and then bring them with you and if they say, I don't do organized religion, you can tell them, neither do we. <laughs> We're just kind of figuring it out, you know? But it's going to be a great day, and I want you to think of someone you can bring. Pray about that. You know, in John chapter 1, it says, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And look, it says, he brought him to Jesus. It didn't say he invited him to come and see Jesus. He brought him. We need to step up our game when it comes to bringing. We need to stop just inviting and we need to start bringing. It's easy to do these drive-by, easy invitations where we let people off the hook because it makes us feel awkward so we'll be like, hey, you, know, you should come to church with me sometime, you know, like if you have nothing else to do. Oh, you're busy this week? Okay, that's totally fine, that's totally fine. And we just like let them, let them off the hook from the one thing that could change their life for all eternity. You walk into Chick-fil-A at lunchtime, like, you're all invited to church. I've been inviting so many people. Well, they think you're crazy. <laughs> inviting isn't good enough. Bringing is the actual goal. I want you to invite with the intent to bring. Start praying about who you might bring. And you know, to bring someone, you might have to just work a little harder and reach out to them again and just put a little pressure on them. But you're putting pressure on them for a good cause because you know they need Jesus and they need a church and that Jesus can change their life for eternity through this church. Like, you know, imagine if your kid's school called you up and like, uh, excuse me, sir, like your kid hasn't been to school for two weeks. And what if you said, well, I invited him to go to school. He just didn't want to. It's like, no, you're going to jail. Because your kid needs this. <laughs> it's a, church is even more important. So bring people to church. There are a couple ways that you can be a bringer. And the first is you can bring Jesus to people. Everywhere you go, you represent Jesus and the light of Jesus can shine through you. People will see Jesus in you, and it changes them. I heard my friend tell a story about a dad who had a seven-year-old daughter, and you know he took his family to church faithfully. One day they were at home, and the daughter comes in to talk to her dad during the week, and she says, Daddy, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. So the dad's all choked up, like this is the moment I've been waiting for. It's that moment every parent dreams of. And so he led his daughter in, in a prayer and she accepted Jesus into her heart and they hugged and cried. She goes back to her room eventually and about an hour later she comes out and she says, Daddy, I have a question. You're like, what, what, what is it, baby? She goes, how tall am I? And the dad said, well, you're like four foot tall, growing like a weed. She said, okay. And she went back to her room. She comes out an hour later and she said, Dad, I have another question. Well, what is it, honey? She said, how tall was Jesus? And he said, well, you know, back in those days, people weren't as tall. He's Middle Eastern, probably 5'8", maybe 5'10", at most. She said, okay. She went back to her room. She comes out about an hour later. Dad, I have another question. He's like, okay, what is it? She said, if I'm four feet and Jesus is 5'8", and I asked him into my heart, won't he be poking out of me? 
<laughs> you know, it's funny, but in a sense, there's a lot of truth to that. When you let Jesus into your life and his spirit dwells in you and begins to change you, you cannot help but have Jesus just kind of poke out of you. And everywhere you go, as you interact with people at work and where you live, you're not gonna be able to help but just bump it into them with some Jesus. Excuse me, that was just the Jesus in me. They're gonna notice something's different about you and they're gonna ask questions about that. It's one of the ways you can bring Jesus to people, but you can also bring people to Jesus and invite them to come to your church with you and say like Andrew did, come and see, we have found the Messiah, then bring them with you to experience victory because we know that just like for Moses and the people of Israel, victory is only found through God. We experience victory through Jesus. So pray about who God would use you to bring to church and then do that. We win when we bring people. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. And if you're here and you need to experience victory through faith in Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to do that. Before we leave here, maybe you came with a friend or you've been coming for a while and you know I need to cross that line of faith. This is a moment for you to accept Jesus and put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. And so if you're ready to do that, just pray this prayer with me, wherever you're at, online, in the room, listening later on a podcast, just pray, God, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again and defeated death. Through my faith in Jesus, I believe I am forgiven and I receive eternal life. Lord, I wanna follow you from this day forward. I ask you to lead me and I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Keep your heads bowed for a minute. If you just prayed that prayer right now and accepted Jesus, I want you just to slip your arm up right now. Just raise your hand up to heaven as a way of recognizing. That's great, thank you. Anyone else? You say, that's me. I just accepted Jesus. Raise your hand up high, don't be shy. That's awesome, two people there. That's great, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet. Let's give God praise tonight and celebrate with those who just accepted Jesus. And then let's give God praise for the victory that we have in Jesus. Let's sing.